healthcare, research, policy, economic development, epidemiology, and more. Rural Health Rising has covered a multitude of areas on our first 29 episodes of the podcast, and we are well on our way to expanding that list as we continue to cover the healthcare triumphs, challenges, and opportunities facing rural America. So, how do we put together a weekly podcast with great interviewees and high-quality production on a weekly basis? Well, with kindness of our industry colleagues, expert partners, and a lot of careful scheduling. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. So, JJ, this is our 30th episode of Rural Health Rising, which is a little mind-blowing to think about. Um, This was just but a thought in our mind, what, back in the fall of 2019. So, do you remember the conversation we had when this idea was born? Wow, it seems like an eternity. Yet, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we were discussing the importance of taking information that is relative to small rural hospitals beyond small rural communities and to the communities uh, around America. And so you and I had a conversation even before we even knew the word COVID right. about this issue. Remember that? Oh, my gosh. There was a time before. <laughs> there, I know. And that's what we reflect on today. But certainly we were discussing the importance of rural hospitals, their necessity in communities to support economic development. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they not only employ usually the largest number of people in those respective communities or the second or third largest employer, but they also contribute to the wellness of their community. And when small rural hospitals close, their community is not only financially devastated, but those communities also receive poor health care. Why? Because they don't receive it. What they choose to do is neglect their health care. And the reason for that is because transportation in rural communities is one of our biggest barriers. And so for Hillsdale County, we don't have a public transportation service countywide. And as a result of that, if we were to move health care an hour away, two hours away, Rachel, People simply could not make it to those locations. And given all of that information, let's assume that someone has an emergency and is having a heart attack. Can you imagine what 45 minutes could potentially do for an outcome? It could be a horrible outcome. It could be devastating. Absolutely devastating. So this is why we've advocated. We've advocated for rural health, not just because we have jobs in rural health, because we fundamentally believe in the critical importance of them for both the economy and the wellness of our community. So when we were talking about this, I had just come back from my first Shishmid conference, the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development um, in Nashville. And I think I'd only been on the job for, what, like three months, maybe? That well, was you came September. back from Nashville. It was about three months afterwards, and we had that discussion. You were yeah. talking Nashville-ish, well, dolls and things like that. That's, so. the, that's the Texan coming oh, out. That, oh, that's that the wasn't, Texan. Yeah, okay. that wasn't because right. of that. But yeah, I'd been here for about three months, and I, I came back, and I was like, I have so many questions because of all the things that we were that I was learning and and talking about and thinking through at that conference. I was realizing with our marketing efforts here, after you know having about three months under my belt and just kind of getting to know the organization, we needed to really step back and look at things from the bigger picture, which included what is our strategy, not just for Hillsdale Hospital, but to make sure that rural health is sustainable. And that's part of what this conversation led to was, well, what if we do something to put Hillsdale Hospital on a national platform to be able to talk about these issues from the perspective of a hospital? Because we have great partnerships with associations like the NRHA and 
um, the Michigan Center for Rural Health and things like that. But when the driving force and the voice behind this conversation is a hospital in and of itself, the, the perspective is a little different. Well, Rachel, what we knew is that we were positively impacting healthcare in our community, Hillsdale County. Mm-hmm. And what we discussed was, what if we were to take this further right. to the state of Michigan? And then we finally said, well, let's just go bigger than that. Right. What if this was to be a national podcast that highlights rural hospitals across America. And we've been extremely successful in bringing perspective on this program from across the country, Mm -hmm. leaders in government to leaders in business and industry to think leaders, uh, you know, individuals that are involved in, you know, making sure that organizations are innovative uh, and looking at health outcomes. We've done it all. We've brought those individuals here and we've had a very meaningful dialogue. And it is worth noting that we've received quite a few compliments uh, and recognition for this work. And in fact, I think in the very near future, I know that I've been invited to speak at programs, you've been invited to speak, and now together we've been invited to speak as a result of our passion for raising this awareness. Because I don't know of any other program that really tackled this issue as specific as rural health. Right. Now, there's other rural-focused you know, podcasts out there, but really that focused on, okay, what happens when the hospital does close? And so we've known since 2010, over 130 hospitals have closed, Rachel. And knowing that number is continually growing, we're concerned because when we look back at those communities, and we've interviewed some of those people, we mm-hmm. see the devastation and impact to their community and to the health outcomes, to the whole economics of not only that community, but of that state. And oftentimes that is overlooked when we talk about mergers and acquisitions. They're so great. Just just have this merger and then the hospital is gone and lives are destroyed through it. So we knew for all the right reasons, we had to get our message out. And we have been in this community for 106 years and we're not going anywhere. And that's that in today's times is very, very difficult Mm -hmm. to say that you can sustain a hospital for, you know, a century is almost impossible. And how have we done it? What has been the keys to our success? Engaging with our community, ensuring high quality, ensuring low cost, a very small bench of leaders, right? Right. We don't have 16 executive vice presidents. No. <laughs> you just actually doubled your department recently. Uh, yeah, I you did. You actually yes. have one extra person right. now. Right. It's so more than two just me. So, that's, so two it's been you. amazing. Exactly. It's been wonderful. And so it's, it is for all of those reasons why we want to highlight the critical importance of keeping your rural hospitals in your rural community. So I think we've been very good at coming up with compelling ideas around here at Hillsdale Hospital, but actually doing those things is a challenge for all the typical reasons, but because we're limited on resources in rural health, as I just shared, you know, our bench strength isn't very deep and we have obviously hiring uh, concerns as everyone does now, but trying to get the most talented worker here in an economy where it's very difficult right now to do that. So Rachel, we have had that meeting uh, a year and a half ago. And what was your next step to actually move this thing to production? Well, we kind of sat on it for a while (laughs) because COVID popped up shortly after this idea in and of itself was born. So we really hadn't made much progress other than kind of brainstorming and thinking through what would the format be like? How do we want the podcast to come across and that kind of thing? But that was about as far as we got before COVID hit. 
So that delayed us for quite a while. Um, but then when we, it was actually when COVID hit that we started doing our Facebook Live programs that we do every week mm-hmm. for our community. And we realized how important these platforms are and how that relationship was being built even stronger with the community. And that kind of lit a fire under us to say, you know what, we need to move this podcast idea forward because it's really important for what we're trying to accomplish. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, um, I I know, I, I'm pretty sure I can figure out a way to record audio, but if we're going to do this, let's do this right. So of course, I'm over here Googling, like, what's the right microphone to use for a podcast and, and figuring these things out. So we kind of put together what I like to refer to as our makeshift studio um, in an empty <laughs> office. And I was, you know, here during those days with so much going on with COVID. There was one night I was in my office at 10 o'clock at night gluing, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, audio dampening foam yes. squares to foam boards from Dollar Tree so we wouldn't have too many holes in the walls. I mean, we were really kind of putting this whole thing together by hand with very little experience or knowledge. Um, and then we got to the point where we were like, okay, we got to start actually recording some things and scheduling some interviews. But what happens after we actually record it? How do we get this thing out as a podcast? So that's where Kenji, our audio engineer, came in. And so he is an incredible resource. He edits the podcast every week. We just have to come in and record it. Um, And then he does everything after that, which is great because I don't think there's really any way we would have the capacity to do that on our own. Um, so yeah, we got our mics, we got our kind of set up and we got some feedback from him on, okay, what else do we need to make this work? And then we, I, I think that was when we wrote our script for the first we tried episode. Yeah. Yeah. So after we got all that, we had to do the first episode, we had to get started. And I think we recorded it, what, three times? Three at least. And it was it was just yeah. like bizarre. We, it, it was funny because I feel like we were trying to find our voice. Yeah. You know, so we had kind of written an initial script, but it didn't feel right. And then we tried to record it again and it still just wasn't quite right. And then finally, when we recorded the first episode, it was like three o'clock on a Friday oh, yeah. after a crazy week. I don't even remember what was going on that week. I just know we were kind of slap happy yeah, at that point we when were. we recorded that episode. But it was kind of a good thing because we could get over the fact that we had these mics in front of us. It, it kind of made sure that we didn't have a choice but to be relaxed and just yeah. be our, ourselves in that conversation. Oh, clearly. Um, so that it was more, you know, more meaningful when it, we're just, you know, talking about these things as opposed to something that was overly rehearsed and that kind of thing. But that was a good thing because it kind of forced us to be relaxed as we had this conversation, right? You know, you're absolutely right. So first, I remember getting on the microphone being like, getting my radio voice, as you told me, JJ, this, don't get out of your radio <laughs> voice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is podcast 15. Of right. Hillsdale. And you're like, no. And I'm like, what? That's what we're supposed to do, right? And well, like, and you were really like, a no. podcast listener at that point, right? Yeah. Because I've been listening to podcasts religiously for like right. five or six years. Right. And, Correct. you know, I commute an hour each way to right. work. So I'm listening to something my all the time. My commute's three minutes. So yeah, I exactly. didn't get a chance to do that. So I had this idea in my head of what our podcast should sound oh, yeah. like. And you're thinking of more of a, a radio sound, Yeah, right? I mean, I've been on the radio. You know, I've done all those things. And, you know, I've been a, a, a re- used my voice at games to announce. And so I was really getting into that mode of, mm-hmm. you know, Let's get, and you're like, no, 
no, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah, too presentational. Exactly. And you said way too presentational. And we and we just started with a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think from that conversation, we recorded it for an hour mm-hmm. and we got a little something out of it. And then we came back and really over time found, you know, the really the best, what I would call the, the best platform uh, and, and really the best um, opportunity for us to, to speak, which was just directly with one another to right. have a meaningful discussion. Uh, and and we found our voice. I mm-hmm. truly believe that yep. uh, in being able to do that. And so when we meet with prospective individuals that are going to be on our program, we share with them, listen, this isn't your time to audition. Mm-hmm. This is just a conversation with the two of us. And our listener wants to hear what is happening in rural America. Right. And let's tell the story. And I think that has been very meaningful. And um, I, I'm just, I've, I've been very very overwhelmed by the response that we have received from not only our community, but also from uh, healthcare around the country. Mm-hmm. I get emails. I just received one today. Uh, read, listen to your podcast, you know, and then they're most interested in coming onto the program. Now, some of them is to sell their product or to engage right. in that type of service, but others have a story to tell as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And to to tell that story, I think, is so important. And Rachel Umana, who is with us now and is your 50% of your department yes, now, yes. has shared you know, repeatedly about, well, why would I listen to Rural Health Rising when there's how right. many podcasts? Yes. Wasn't there some crazy number? Like, oh, like millions. Yeah. I'm well, sure. It was just, it was unreal. Yeah. What the number, and I was yeah. going, oh my, that's a lot to choose from. But what would make this any different? And I think as we set the narrative, it's really about keeping our communities safe, healthy, employed. And that's the basis of any community, right? Mm-hmm, right. If you remove your health care from a community, the, the, uh, imagine the devastation to the community itself. But then we started to take it a little bit further. And what we started to do is beyond just the health outcomes, let's talk about leadership in healthcare. care. Let's talk mm-hmm. about quality in healthcare. care. Let's talk about finance in healthcare. And then we started to segue into some of my favorite segments, which were into quality and growth and really getting into our pillars campaign mm-hmm. that I have used for my growth strategy right. here at Hillsdale Hospital to grow our hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think those have been very, very effective as we move forward. So, uh, Rachel, you know, what's been the biggest challenge in your mind for you produce this podcast, you know, for you producing this podcast and keeping it going at that weekly pace that's so important to attract the listener? What what would you say is the challenge? Right. It's a lot. Um, you know, we I write this the I, I don't want to call it a script. It's more of an outline because we have our, our opening is kind of scripted and then we have our discussion questions in the middle and um, then our kind of closing segments. And so some of that is, you know, very consistent and our, our closing sounds very similar every week, but the, the middle section is the important part. And so as I'm writing those, I'm trying to think through based on who we're interviewing, what are my genuine curiosities about their expertise mm-hmm. and the topic we're going to be discussing with them? And what do I want to know that I don't know already or that I think that I only know because of my role and others who are listening of things that they might be curious about too, um, and try to just really approach it from that perspective. Because I'm kind of like that anyway. Yeah. I'm, I can be missed you 20 are. questions. I just, yeah. I like you, to really? learn things. Oh, really? Yeah, I know. I, I like to learn things. first conversation after you got back from your session lasted at least two hours uh, with me as you asked the why. Yes. And it was a constant why. Well, why do we do that? Well, and right. I, by the end, Have I'm we like, ever done this? Are we thinking about this? But what you know, are we, you expanded yeah. me uh, to areas I never thought we could go. 
uh, and by pressing me with the why, um, and I couldn't answer some of those whys, right. and I needed to make sure that I could. And I, I want to thank you for that because that was extremely important to my growth, was to push me further than I thought we could go and to ask, why are we doing it this way? And guess what? Mm-hmm. There are reasons that I couldn't even explain why we were doing things as we were that we needed right. to change. And so I think, you know, for you, I guess, have you learned from this program? Oh, I've learned a ton. Me too. Mark Holmes from the North Carolina Rural Health Research yeah. Center. He, I mean, the kind of stuff that he was able to share with us, the way he explained these things was so, I mean, it, it really stuck with me and it helped me to better understand what's the actual and real factual data-based history of the difficulty that was incredible. in rural health. Yeah. I mean, it is one of my favorite episodes yeah. that it we have done. It sets the foundation. Done. It does. It does. And it gives some credibility to our message of, you know, there are significant challenges facing rural health care and we have to do something about it. We being Mm -hmm. the collective, uh, you know, the the United States, essentially. Yeah. um, And and us in the industry who are facing it, we have to advocate for those things. But that gives us that credibility of like when we say that rural hospitals are struggling we're not just saying that because that's what we think and feel because of the world that we live in. There's some real information to back this up and a history of how we got here, which I think is important because what I hope we can do more of on the podcast too is look into more on public policy. What are some of the things that can be done to help change some of this? Oh, absolutely. But we have to understand that history to do that. So that was one of my favorites. And then Opal Greenway also. Did was she, did she, amazing. Did she do a great job? Oh my gosh. Awesome. Well, and I know we've worked with Hillsdale Hospitals worked with her in the past, but I had not had the privilege of oh, meeting right. and speaking with that's her yet right. and just hearing her level of expertise. She's also one that's really good, very educational in the way oh, that yes. she explains Down to earth, these things. Very understandable. Right. Uh, you can tell she loves what she does all the time. You know, we get lost mm-hmm. in acronyms here. Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. I, and jargon. Oh, and, jargon. And then my chief quality officer will start giving me acronyms of X, Y, you know, and, and I'm like, John, just tell me, what does this mean? Right. And, and oftentimes, do you know that we catch ourselves? We do it. Sometimes I try to catch myself doing it when we're speaking in public or mm-hmm. to the general public about some of our acronyms here and people right. have no clue what we're talking right. about. And when we're trying to build a relationship, when you use jargon and things people it. don't understand, it creates this us versus, not us versus them, but us and them separation where it's like, well, they clearly live in this world and I don't live in that world. So how much of a relationship can can we have, Absolutely. right? Um, whereas our whole goal is to build relationships with our community, within the industry, yes within government to be yeah. able to improve the cause of rural health yeah. overall. And, and speaking of government, Rachel, you know, I, I'm sure you're going to ask me what my favorite program was since I asked you, but I want to I want to say this first. You know, when we started our programs, both Facebook Live and uh, mm-hmm. this program, it's not politically related, right. right? But we have to have the conversations with policymakers. Right. And the moment we think that there has to be the separation between government and hospitals and you can't. No, we have to work. Well, with, the government's our biggest payer. They so are the biggest We have payer. to work with them. <laughs> and we not only have to work with them, but they need to understand the complexities of right. rural health. Right. How we're paid, how the reimbursement model works, what the access to care issues mm-hmm. are. And so I remember early on. We had Congressman Tim Wahlberg on the program, Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to air our dirty laundry. And we were talking 
nothing politically charged. It was not talking about one party over the other. It was talking about policy as it relates to, uh, you know, the issue of health care. Right. And someone took offense from that. It's our first negative comment on the podcast. Right. And we left it up there because we want people it to. Is what, yeah. It is what right. it is. It is what it is. And, but it's, it's an alarming reminder to us that we get so lost in today's environment of fighting and division that we're losing perspective of what's happening around us. Mm -hmm. You know, we should have been applauding the fact that we have a U.S. congressman on the program that can talk policy with us. Right. And it's not like we gave him free passes. Right. We were holding his feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. And I want to engage in more of that. Right. You know, as we move forward, because the policymakers are driving payment. Right. These are the folks going back to Washington, determining just exa- an example most recently, the the CARES Act funding, right? Mm-hmm. And there was lobbying done by the associations, both in Michigan and nationally, to try to move up the reporting uh, timelines and move back certain timelines so that we could keep additional funding under the CARES Act. Mm-hmm. That we and, just basically hadn't had time to put to use no, yet, right? No, simply could not uh, for many reasons. And so... Unfortunately, after all that lobbying, we we weren't successful, but we had to have the conversations. Right. And we had to tell the why. Mm-hmm. Many times rural health is not represented in the major organizations and associations. Right. It is who unless is, it's a rural specific organization. Unless right? it's a rural <laughs> unless it's a rural association. Right. But when you look at some of the mainstream and in major associations, they're gonna focus on who their largest vendor. Mm-hmm. Or payers. Or member, correct? yeah, right. And their member is going to most likely be, you know, the larger systems. Mm-hmm. And so advocacy seems to be towards the larger systems. And right. so we wanted to create this voice for that reason. But sitting down with policymakers is so, so important. You know, one of my favorite episodes is uh, Bill Oxier. Oh, yes. Now, you probably will say, JJ, why was that your favorite? Now, now Bill runs his own podcast. Right. And uh, does a fantastic job. And I've been a guest of his. Mm-hmm. But Rural what, Health Leadership Radio. Look it up. Rural Health. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And one of the things that put perspective for me is he talked about CEO burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, the average life of a CEO at one place is like 2.4 years. Right. Yikes. You know, these Mm -hmm. individuals aren't even living out their three-year contract and moving on and moving on and moving on. Some to bigger and some to what they think is better and others who are eliminated because they can't get their finances together or their Mm -hmm. quality together. It is such a stressful environment, especially when you start looking at all the domains of quality, price, transparency, Mm -hmm. physician engagement, employee engagement, market economic, all of those factors. Right. Um, And so he really taught me you know, a good lesson about uh, keeping your your CEO uh, fires burning, but not burning too tall. Right. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, you can really burn out quickly on a job like this because mm-hmm. you want to get so much accomplished right. and you can burn your people out mm-hmm. because you're pushing mm-hmm. hard. Uh, and I, I admit there are times that I push very, very hard. Um, but I also understand the critical importance of we don't have much time. Right. And I think about a, a phrase uh, that said for such a time as this, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm entrusted to this hospital for a very small time frame. Think about it. Even right. if my tenure here was 15 years, 
it's still a small time frame in complexity and in comparison to the 106 years right. we've been here. So it's been entrusted to me for this very small period of time. What am I going to do with it? And I think as a CEO, you're constantly thinking about growth and strategy. And the minute we step back and say, well, we've accomplished it and, and shake our hands of it, we have failed. Because to be an organization that moves forward, we've got to be thinking forward. We've got to have a growth strategy. We have to have a growth mindset. And I know I've shared that with each of you as my leaders, is the importance of having a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Take us further than we thought was possible. Right. And we've done that here. Mm-hmm. And we've shared before, you know, world-class healthcare truly is happening here at Hillsdale. Right. You know, lithotripsy, that's folium lithotripsy, first in the nation to be used. One of only four using in, it in in having been used around the United States and mm-hmm. now we're being you know we're we're being inundated by request for this um and also looking at our growth strategy about how can we keep the continuum of care here and keep people in Hillsdale County uh and keep them healthy you know that's that's a heavy weight on a CEO's shoulders and making sure that in the day of an environment of lost payments because of the government shutdowns mm-hmm. let's not forget we lost 3 months of revenue. Right. And we lost $10 million mm-hmm. immediately, mm-hmm. notwithstanding the six months of slow activity beyond the three months shutdown, right. in which we lost another $8 million. And yet we can turn a profit this year. How incredible is that, it's, Rachel? It's amazing. That and we've I, been able to do that. I think what you're talking about really demonstrates the part of, again, part of the reason that we're doing this podcast, because it's just a different game when you're in rural healthcare versus urban or suburban areas. And what I loved about Bill and and his interview, he's a great storyteller. And also he was able to help us really understand that problem in more detail than just from the perspective of who do we know who's who's been through that or who is a CEO or has been a CEO, but what is what's the data behind it and what is being done to help fix that problem yes. and to provide more support for rural CEOs. And that's a lot of what Bill does. It is. It so, is. And I have to say, my I mentioned two of my what favorite episodes, but my actual, yes, favorite. my most favorite has to be Sam Chen. Oh. And not just because we are fellow Classmates. Baylor alumni. Yes. Um, but I will say, so one of the things and one of the other questions that I forgot to to share, you asked about how we keep this going at a weekly pace. So I am three weeks back from maternity leave this week. So our listeners don't actually know, but for 12 weeks from, you know, March 23rd <laughs> on, um, we were not in the studio. We, were not. we recorded, I want to say 15 to 17 episodes ahead of time so that we would still have weekly episodes. That was one of the most difficult things. Lightning speed. Yes. Yes. And if you noticed uh, my me running out of breath in the last 15 or so episodes, that was because I was super pregnant when yes. we were when we were recording them. Um, but it, it's funny because the episode we did with Sam, March Madness had not started yet. And he mentioned the shout out to the he Baylor did. Bears, yeah. you know, and then we ended up winning the national championship. And I was like, how cool is that, that right. that ended up being in the podcast. But what I love about that episode with Sam is that he really is able to help us understand and discuss some of the policy issues around this, but from the perspective of someone who is not a policymaker or uh, someone holding elected office themselves. So it gives us that other side of it, too, of the the research that's being done around these things, different ideas that are out there and that people are working on, as opposed to, you know, when we talk to Congressman Wahlberg, he's telling us about what he's doing in the committees he's working in. And then when we talk to someone like Sam, we get to hear more about what are some of the things that are 
being discussed but aren't being worked on yet and and how those things are being developed and, and what factors are being looked at and that kind of thing. He's really a policy wonk. Oh, sure. And, and I love that. It's, oh, yeah. it, I am not myself, but it, it's so important. Yeah. And the cool thing about Sam, too, is he has a public access show that he does in Philadelphia called Face the Issues. And the night before we interviewed him, uh, I was talking to him on the phone and I was like, give me some of your thoughts and tips because you've been doing something similar to what we're doing. The, the, the concept is different, but he's still doing these one-on-one kind mm-hmm. of interviews with people. Um, and one of the things he said that really stuck with me that I was like, you know, we can really work on the conversational nature of our interviews and relax even more than sure. what we had initially, you know, done. Um, but what he said was he doesn't do talking points on his show. So essentially his interviewees, he doesn't let them get into the talking points because he wants to, you know, what what they would typically be doing wherever else they're doing interviews. He wants to have a conversation about some of these specific issues and really make it more, uh, more personal and, and easier to understand and talk through the, the actual issues because it's called face the issues. So that's something I think we can learn from too. And, you know, as we look around the nation and see who could we interview, who would be a good person to be on this podcast we're not only finding people that are good interviewers, but they're going to become good partners for us in in our business here at Hillsdale Hospital. Coaches, mentors, you know, we're really benefiting from that, oh. and it's going to benefit oh. our podcast and our hospital in the long run. Well, you know, we've been very fortunate, and I can honestly sit here and take you through the journey of every speaker that we've had in the studio and tell you something fantastic about what they delivered or mm-hmm. what it meant to me. I mean, we take notes during these interviews. Oh, yeah. And I've got a whole list of notes back. I've got a binder I, full. Yeah, I often reflect on go, oh, that's a great. Or how about a relationship where I say, you know what? That was such a good presentation. I want to bring him here. And for example, in November, I'm bringing Mark Noon here. Oh, yeah. And he is going to be a speaker for all of our staff. Leadership. From leadership Tim. And leader, yeah. And, and so very excited about that. So our listeners today may be asking, Rachel, what's the future hold? You know, we talked about COVID uh, and we've, we're, we've moved through that phase in a lot of our areas. Uh, and we've really wanted this to focus on, yeah, it's the rule aspect and we've, we've tackled a lot of important issues. But what does the future look like? Mm-hmm. And I think what it looks like is bringing these leadership experts, these healthcare policy experts and getting more into the meat. Mm-hmm. We've kind of had a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of the. We've kind of done the overview on a lot of topics. Yes. But dive deep because mm-hmm. I think there is so much that can be done by diving deeper into some of these issues mm-hmm. and complexities. When you start start talking about quality and just imagine that presentation that we had in quality, uh, we could we could segue that into 27 other episodes. Oh, yeah. You know, so what's really what do our listeners want to hear? And all with a understanding that this is supporting rural health. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm excited about. I know you're back. I'm excited. Yes. Yes. It's great to have you back in the studio. No one would have even noticed that we even missed a beat. Right. Because Except we have for those... a little bit of my huffing and puffing yes, when I was talking. <laughs> but, but you have a great audio engineer that takes care of that. Yes. Uh, and so it's really just been an honor to do these episodes. And who would have thought that it would have taken us here mm-hmm. and into a point where now we're being asked uh, to speak at places across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm very excited about not because of who we are, 
This isn't right. about Rachel it's, and JJ. It's the issue we're putting it's forward. It's the issue, which mm-hmm. is rural health. And as I shared earlier, you and I both are entrusted for a very short time with the resources of this hospital and how we use them is so important to the long-term viability mm-hmm. and sustainability of this hospital. If you misuse them, we are in trouble. If I misuse them, we are in trouble. So our accountability is to each other, but also putting this information out to our public Mm -hmm. so they understand how important their rural hospital is in their respective community. Maybe it will launch inside of someone a desire to go volunteer at a rural hospital Mm -hmm. or to want to get into healthcare. That was one that I got was I listened to your podcast and I wanted to get into healthcare. Oh, I got that. Awesome. I, I received from one of my board. I don't think you're sending me all of these. You got to send Probably me every not. single one of these. <laughs> I'll send you every one of them. I had a board member come in two weeks ago and she presented to me a proposal from, uh, not as a board member, but mm-hmm. as a son-in-law that she has that's in the medical field. And he's listened to every one of our podcasts. Wow. He's a medical professional. I won't tell you what profession. And he wanted, he, it's a like a 13-page uh, dossier and and a survey and a study and a recommendation that he has for a new service line to our community. Wow. Based on listening to any, and he, he broke it down. It was really awesome. He broke it down to the five Ps. How have you been hiding these well, things from me? it just happened. <laughs> I've and only I've been, been so back busy. for three weeks. And you've been back but... for three weeks, and I think I've had you busy. But yeah. it is, it are it's these types of stories you know, that really inspire me to know that what we're doing, it's not about us. It's about advancing rural health in America. And that is so important. Well, I think that's a great place to end this episode. So that is a wrap on our 30th episode special of Rural Health Rising. So as JJ mentioned, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to have more great interviews and great discussions right here on the podcast. And if you or someone you know would make a great interviewee, we want to hear from you. Shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com because we are always keeping an eye out for good people to interview, um, new topics that we want to discuss. I, I have a Google alert out uh, on my email for rural healthcare. And every time I get something, I'm sending JJ an email, hey, I think we should find someone who can talk about this issue. Um, so we'd love to hear from you if, if you're interested in joining us for an episode. That's marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. And we also want to get your feedback on the podcast as well. Which episode is your favorite episode? Uh, what do you want to hear more of? Uh, who do you want to hear from? Who do you want us to talk with? And we've put a brief five-question survey up on RuralHealthRising.com so you can help us shape future episodes of Rural Health Rising. All right. And thank you again for joining us for today's episode. As a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269 467-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. 
For more episodes and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.